0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at AxeChurchLeander.com. Well, we are uh, continuing in our series uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, and we're calling this book or we're calling this series the Good Life. Because the the book of Ecclesiastes is about what it is to live a wise life. And, And our real quick sort of snapshot definition of wisdom is simply the ability to navigate life well. That's wisdom, the ability to navigate life well. And our first week we kind of reviewed that there's three sort of pieces, three parts that make up wisdom. And that being a wise person is this. It's about being the right kind of person, part one, who makes the right kind of decisions... Because they've considered the right kind of questions. Okay, so being a wise person is being a person who's, made, uh, who, who's the right kind of person, who makes the right kind of decisions because they've considered the right kind of questions. And so what we see pretty consistently through the book of Ecclesiastes is a lot of questions. 31 times in Ecclesiastes, the, the author, we call him Koheleth is the Hebrew word. He, is, he calls himself the preacher. Koheleth is the word. So I'm going to use that a bunch because it's fun. And, uh, and so Koheleth 31 times asks us questions. He asks the reader a question, begs us to consider some significant things in life. But then there's moments in the book of Ecclesiastes where it's almost as if he anticipates questions that we would ask him. He anticipates questions. And so in our text for today, uh, it's almost as if Ecclesiastes anticipates us asking this question. How do I live a life of balance? How do I live a balanced life? Which is, of course, a super important question for us to consider. uh, Because, you know, between work, family, friends, staying healthy, maybe even trying to sleep once in a while... Uh, you know, you know we're, we're all busy people, right? We're trying to figure out how to balance it. Like, I don't know how many of you are like me, uh, where when someone comes up to you and they ask you to say, hey, you haven't seen them for a while, and they say, hey, how are you doing? Like, my go-to response is, I'm good, staying busy, right? Does anyone else do that? Busy, right, right? Like, we're busy. I'm doing stuff. I'm taking care of things. And, and we are, right? Like, it's not bragging. You know, I'm not, not trying to be impressive with being busy. It's just honest. And it's tough because if you're like me, when you're busy, you start to feel like, am I balancing things right? Am I spending enough time with my family? Am I spending enough time in my work? Am I spending enough time being a good friend? Am I spending enough time taking care of myself and being healthy? Am I, am I doing the right things I'm supposed to do? I'm just not sure. And figuring out this life balance is really tricky. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was on the, the phone with a, a mentor of mine and I was talking to him about this very issue. I was like, dude, what do I do with this? Like, I'm trying to figure out My my, my balance in life. And uh, and he started to give me some advice and then for whatever reason we got cut off. And so he sent me an email the next day and I just want to share part of what what he wrote with you. He says this in his email. He says, here's what goes through my head when I deal with this issue. I love my work. It is important and I want my organization to be successful and I want to be the best leader I can be. And if I'm honest, I want some credit for the success of my work. I love my family and they are important. When I'm eighty years old, I will treasure my relationships with my family more than how many emails I answered. I know that my family should take priority, but to be honest, work is easier and more rewarding in the short run. Don't get me wrong, I love my family, but it's much easier to go to work than it is to be at home. And after that he goes on and he gives a bunch of great advice of, of how to find balance and, and how to figure that out and how to live in this tension. But I wanted to share that that part of that email with you um, because I find his honesty really refreshing. And I don't think he's alone in that. And I think the struggle that he taps into there is probably similar for a lot of us, for a lot of you. And so how do we do it? How do we we have a life of balance? Well, in our text for today in Ecclesiastes 3, he gives us three pieces of advice to hold intention in regards to balance. And these are three pieces. They are to embrace paradox, choose action, and rest in grace. Okay? Embrace paradox, choose action, rest in grace. But I want to be clear. I didn't say Ecclesiastes gives us an answer to the balance of life. He doesn't give us an answer. But he gives us three pieces of advice to navigate the tension. I don't know if there is an answer. But he gives us three pieces of advice to help us navigate that tension well, all right, so let's get going. Embrace paradox. If you guys look with me at Ecclesiastes 3.1, one, writes, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. All right, so the writer of this text, Kohelis, says there's, there's a time for everything under heaven. In other words, he's saying everything that happens, everything that goes on in this world does not happen by accident. That it's not a coincidence but that God is actually in control, that everything is under God's control. Every time we face, every experience that happens in this world happens with the hands of God on it. Everything is in God's control. And this is what we call, in theological terms, we call this the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. He's in charge of all things. And so then the, the author, Koheleth, goes into verse 2, and he kind of points out a couple things that God's in charge of. Look at verse 2. Uh, he writes, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And so he points out these things that you don't control, right? Like, you didn't pick when you were born. You didn't choose it. He did. And in general, you don't choose when you die. You don't choose when you die. He does. You don't choose when you plant. Sure, you can speak the pick the specific day, but try planting at the wrong time of year. It's not going to work out well for you. You're not going to harvest at the right time, right? So he says, there's things out of your control and God is in complete control of his world. He determines everything. Determines everything. And I say that and people get a little uncomfortable, right? We get a little bit nervous. God's in control of everything. Like, is there anything we can do to change that? Or it's like, my fate, just my fate. Am I just dealt the hand I'm dealt and that's it and it doesn't really matter what we do because God's in control of everything. I got no free will. I just do whatever's going to happen to me is what's going to happen to me. Is that how it works? This was a question that ancient people uh, wrestled with a lot. Uh, those of you that took 10th grade drama class, uh, you'll remember the, uh, the ancient Greek. Tra- Anyone take 10th grade drama class? Come on, Aaron. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Thanks, Zach. Okay, so the ancient Greek tragedy, Oedipus. That's a super weird story. But but Oedipus, at the beginning of of the play, he meets with the Oracle of Delphi. As a young man, the Oracle of Delphi says, hey, this is your fate in life. You're going to kill your father and marry your mother. Oedipus wants to do neither of those things, which is good, right? So he spends his entire life trying to avoid that fate. But guess what happens? By the end of the play, he does exactly that. Kills his father, marries his mother weird. And so is that how life works? That's what they're asking. Or to put it in more of a a modern literary context, Uh, there's a great piece of literature. It's a a sitcom called How I Met Your Mother. Uh, It's a classic uh, but, but if you've ever seen that show, like the whole thing is about how this guy meets his wife, how he meets the mother of his children, and he's constantly talking about the universe again and again. It's, and the universe directed me to do this, and I had to pay attention to this sign of the universe because it led me to meet the right woman. This was the exact thing I was supposed to do. It's all about this idea of fate. Or to put it in a modern context that's non-literary, there's folks in our world right now that would say we have no control over our lives, that there's no real choices at all, that none of us really have any free will at all. That everything is genetically predisposed, and then we're placed in social constructs that shape us to do what we're going to do, and we don't have any real choices in our lives. And so, is that our story? Is that our story? Are we tied to some fate and have no real choice in this world? Well, what we see in Ecclesiastes and testified throughout Scripture is no, that's not the case, but it's tricky. It's tricky. Look with me at verses 7 to 8. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. All right, so in this little poem here, Koheleth is saying, yes, God is in control of all things. He's sovereign, but then he says, and verse 7 and 8. And there is a time for you to tear. And there's a time for you to put things back together. And there's a time for you to speak up. And there's a time for you to shut your mouth. Right? These are active verbs that the individual is choosing the action. And as modern Americans, we love this, right? individual chooses the action. You make your decisions. You build your own future. You hustle. You earn it, baby, right? Like at the the end of Back to the Future, Doc Brown says, the future is what you make it. We love that. So we want to be true. Now, do you see why this is tricky? Because the Bible says, on the one hand, God is in control of all things, absolutely everything. And humanity is responsible for the choices we make. It's both. God is in complete control, and you are completely responsible for the choices you make. Now, we can't actually grasp that with human reason, right? Like, like if you think about it, it's got to be one or the other. Either God controls everything, everything, and our fate is just what it is, or it just sits completely on the individual, and we just make our own path. It can't be both. But Scripture says it is. It is. It's both. It's a tension we've got to hold. It's an antinomy. It's a paradox. It's kind of like if you were to ask a scientist if light is particles or waves. They'd say yes. It depends on how you look at it. And this is what we see in Scripture. That God is sovereign and humanity is responsible. It's a paradox. And if you want a balanced life, you've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace it. And I say that, and someone says, what are you talking about? Like, that's like a 30,000-foot philosophical question. What on earth does that have to do with me having a balanced life, with me trying to figure out my schedule? Here's why you got to embrace that paradox. Because it's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. Like, just think about it. If, if, if you were to take it seriously, that everything is predetermined, that everything is set, that everything, just nothing changes, your fate is what your fate is, if you actually take that seriously, then why bother doing anything? Right? It's paralyzing. On the other hand, if I am in sole control of my own life, if I am the one who creates my future for myself, if you take that seriously, that's terrifying and paralyzing. Because think of how many times you've been wrong in your life, right? When I was 20 years old, I was certain. I had found love and found the woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I was sure of it, man. That was my plan. That was my future. I banked all my chips on being with her. Three months later, she left me for my best friend since second grade. True story. Now, that's one example. That's one example. But I'm pretty sure when I was 20, and many of you, when you were 20, and those of you that are 20 now... I was wrong about 75% of the things in my life, right? Pretty sure. Now I'm 30. Who knows how many things I'm wrong about now, right? Percentage could be higher. I don't know. And so it's paralyzing if my future is in my hands alone, and it's paralyzing if everything is predetermined and it doesn't matter what I do. But if it's both, if I embrace that paradox then it's okay. Because then I know I'm responsible for what's in front of me. I'm responsible for the choices in front of me, to do what's in front of me. But if God is ultimately in control of all things, then I can relax. Because he's in control. And he's not just in control, but he's good. And in fact, he's not just good, he wills good for me. Right? Romans 8, 28 says that God works all things for the good of those who love him so I can relax no matter what you're facing you can trust that God is working all things for your good no matter what it is he's working all things for your good it may take a while to see that It may take a while to see what that looks like he says in the end I'm working all things for your good So the first step in living a life of balance is to embrace this paradox that God is sovereign. We are responsible. And when you do that, it enables you to point to choose action. Choose action. Look with me at verses 10 to 11. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. All right, so our friend Kohelis says, Hey, God's given us stuff to do. He's given us stuff to be busy with. There's things for us to do. And then he says, I love this line, verse 11. He says, and there's a, a, some, everything is beautiful in its time. That there's a beautiful time for everything. And that word beautiful is a Hebrew word, yafe. It's a really fun word, yafe. Uh, and in this context, it, it means right or fitting. So he says, there's a fitting, there's a right time, there's a beautiful time to choose one action over another. There's a beautiful time, according to God's time, to choose one action over another. So, for example, I have two small children. And uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunity uh, to to speak quite a bit, and I get to to travel around and, and speak at different things quite a bit. And in the last 12 months or so, I've probably traveled 10 times to speak. And what I realized is that leaving my house with two small children 10 times a year is actually really hard for my family, right? It's not easy for them when I do that. Now, it's good for me to preach. It's good for me to use my gifts to go where God's called me to do. But maybe right now, it's not Yafet right? Maybe right now it's not beautiful. Maybe right now it's not fitting. It's not right. And so now for this next year, I've already canceled a few gigs so that I can be at home and do what's more fitting for this season of life. And that may be true for some of you too, that you may be at some point in life where you're trying to find balance and you need to ask those questions. What, what's, what's Yafel? What's, what's beautiful? What's right? What's fitting for this season. And what I love about verse 11 here is we're free to make those decisions. We can make those decisions, no problem. Why? Because he has put eternity into man's heart. See, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if, if you look at things from an eternal perspective, if I look at things from an eternal perspective, I know I'm not going to miss out on anything. So I can say, you know what, I'm not going to speak right now. If God wants me to, you know, he'll open up that season again later in my life. And if he doesn't, that's fine. I've still got eternity to talk all I want, right? I'm I'm not going to miss out on anything. The same is true for you. In light of eternity, you're not going to miss out on anything. So choose what's fitting for this season. Choose what's beautiful for now. And someone says, okay, that's all well and good. How do I choose what's fitting? What's fitting? What, What determines that? Look with me at verses 12 to 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So as we seek a balanced life, how do we know what's fitting? Verse 12. There's nothing better than to be joyful and to do good. So what's, what's beautiful? What's Yafet? Choose that which brings joy and that which is good. It's that simple. It's that simple, right? Choose that which produces joy and that which is good. So I think about it like this. Uh, a good friend of mine was in the midst of a career transition like three weeks ago. And he and I were on the phone. And he had two offers uh, from two different organizations. First organization was a major car dealership that uh, asked him to do HR and project management for them and said, hey, we'd love to bring you on, have you do this. The other organization was a a major nonprofit that wanted him to be the director of their major gifts. Uh, I mean, we're talking handling millions of dollars here. And uh, and they said, we want you to come on as our director of major gifts. And this, the, the car dealership job, paid a little bit more, paid a little bit less, but was still fine. And so he called me up and said, Gabe, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know which way I should go here. Now, these are both good options, right? There's nothing wrong with working for a car dealership, and there's nothing wrong with working for a nonprofit. It's good things to do. These are fine options. And so we said, what's, what's going to be good and what's going to be joyful? So they're both good, moral, check. What's going to bring joy? What's going to produce joy for you, brother? And I told him, I said, I know you, man. This may be fine in the short term, but in the long run, this is the game you want to be a part of. I know you. This is where your heart's at. These are the things that line up with your values. Do this. It'll bring you joy, right? It's, it's that simple. What's good? What brings joy? See, so often people come up to me and they'll face a choice and they'll say, and they'll present two options before me and they'll say, so pastor, I've got this and this. They're both moral options, good options, and they both have the potential to bring joy. And they say, pastor, so what should I do? What should I do? I want to do God's will. What's God's will for me in this situation? And I disappointingly respond and I say, God's will is already revealed. He wants you to be obedient. Either one of these is an obedient choice. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. So just choose. Just pick one. Choose action. He's in control. He's working things for good. Just pick one. I had a professor in seminary who would put it like this. He'd say, so you've got uh, three girls you could marry. They're all good Christian girls. How do you pick? He goes, pick the pretty one and let's get going. Right? (laughs) Now, his misogyny aside... uh, as misogyny aside, he's got a good point, right? So often in life, I think we paralyze ourselves with choices when really it can be simple. Do what brings joy and do what's good. God's in control. He's working for your good. Keep it simple. Verse 13, eat, drink, enjoy the work he's given you. It's, your, it's his gift. Just rest in that. Receive it as a gift. All right, so we navigate the tension of living a balanced life. By embracing paradox, by choosing action that is good and brings joy. And then finally, we live a balanced life by resting in God's grace. Look with me at verses 14 to 15 in our text. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Now see, this set of verses is actually incredibly crucial if we seek to live a life of balance. Because we can embrace the paradox of God's sovereignty, our responsibility, all we want. We can make choices that have the potential to produce joy and are good. But the reality is this. Inevitably, we will all make wrong choices. Inevitably, it will happen. Inevitably, we will misprioritize some piece of our life, and so our family will take the hit for our work, or our friends will take the hit because we're tired, or God will end up being absent from our life because we wanted to make room for our egos and for our fears. And so because that will happen, if we're going to really live a balanced life, priority number one is we've just got to rest in God's grace. You just got to rest in God's grace. See, when your life balance is off, we're trying to figure that out. You need the gospel. We need the gospel at all times, and we need it especially when we're trying to figure out life balance. You need the grace of God. You need to see that God sent Jesus to the cross for all the times that your priorities get out of whack, for all the times that you've made the wrong choice, when you don't choose what's fitting, what's joyful, what's good. See that on the cross, Jesus pays the price for all the times you've disregarded God's will. And that because of him, God's grace now rests on you. You've got to see that. That nothing can be added or taken away from that. You've got to rest in that. Because then you can rest in his grace regardless of what happens in life. If you see that in a cosmic sense, his grace is for you. It enables you to rest in whatever life balance you need to figure out now. And someone may say, okay, Gabriel, that that resting in God's grace may be true for some folks, but not for me, not after what I've done. This is why I love verse 15. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. In other words, anything you do is not a surprise to God. It's nothing new to him. He's not shocked by it. And yet, and yet, and I love the end of this, God seeks what has been driven away. And that includes you. That that's the message of the gospel. There's no one too far beyond God's grace, no one who can't rest in it, because God seeks what is driven away. So no matter how far you think you've fallen, No matter how big a gap you think exists between you and God, God seeks what has been given away. That includes you. And so you can rest in that grace. So uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that Prince died this last week, musician. Uh, and he is, of course, a legend uh, in the world of music. And in fact, uh, my wife Melissa and I, we lived in the Twin Cities for a year where he's from, and we got to see his, his house band live uh, without him, because no one ever gets to see Prince. Uh, but, uh, but, but we got to see his house band, best drum I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but anyways, this, this last week, in light of his death, um, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Minneapolis, uh, he wrote a little reflection piece uh, on the death of Prince, and I thought it was kind of fitting for, for us today. So let me just uh, share what he wrote. He said, "Super sad to see a Minneapolis icon pass away so young." Like a lot of us, he made youthful mistakes, which he genuinely tried to change. In the end, I think he summed it up well by saying, and then he quotes Prince and he quotes uh, lyrics from the song "The Cross" by Prince, and I've got them up here. We all have our problems. Some are big, some are small. Soon, all of our problems, y'all, will be taken by the cross. Now, let me be clear when I quote him here. Prince was a Jehovah's Witness. I don't know if you guys knew that. He was a Jehovah's Witness, which I would say falls out of Orthodox Christianity, okay? But I wanted to bring this quote up because we see here, he gets the cross. He's shown us what it looks like to rest in God's grace, See, so if your life balance is out of whack, God seeks what is driven away. Rest in his grace. Your choices may not always produce joy, may not always be good. God seeks what is driven away. Rest in his grace. He sought you in Jesus. At the cross, Jesus takes on your problems, and nothing will be added to that or taken away from it. And so my prayer this week is that you'd rest in his grace as you seek to find balance in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time. I pray for my friends who are busy with life. We've got a lot of things going on. Who face important choices and decisions. God, I pray that you would grant them wisdom and clarity. Help them to see your hand in the midst of all things. Help them to choose actions that bring joy and are good. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that we would all just rest in your grace. That we see that Jesus' work on the cross for us is enough. That it's enough, Lord. It's all we need. May we take hope in that this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.